0: I'm uh, privileged to share the word with you this morning in the absence of uh, Pastor Ryan who's enjoying a little bit of vacation. So uh, I guess we're at Acts 17. He asked me to preach from Acts 17 because uh, that's where we were going to be uh, in this uh, process of uh, understanding God's purpose and plan for our lives. It began several months ago in uh, Genesis, and now we're up to the book of Acts. We're into the New Testament and seeing how all of this is unfolding. And I want to uh, uh, actually begin in Genesis, but you turn to Acts 17, and we'll get there in just a moment. What is God's plan, and what is God's purpose? We know He has one for each one of our lives individually and personally. Back in Genesis, we saw that Adam sinned, Eve sinned. They were separated from God. They were eternally separated from God unless God somehow and in some fashion had a plan or purpose in place to redeem them back to Himself. And that's what's been unfolding. We've seen how it's unfolded throughout the Old Testament, now into the New Testament, into the life of the church, the new church, this assembly, this called out group that are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we know in Genesis when Adam sinned, the whole world went down with him. The whole world went haywire. The whole world slipped off its axis. And it was a twofold problem because not only did Adam and Eve fall and sin infect humanity and the whole human race uh, following thereafter, but the whole globe went with him. The earth itself is cursed. Genesis 3 and Genesis 5 explain that to us. If you've uh, planted a beautiful garden and went out a week or two later without giving it much care, you noticed how the curse began to take effect in your garden. Um, There's a cursed earth, and there is a cursed humanity that lives in the cursed earth. And consequently, consequently, it's very interesting that man is rather comfortable in his sinning, isn't he? Now, the vast population of this earth uh, is alienated from God, still in their sin, still lost in their trespass, still far away from the plan and purpose God has for their life. But for the majority, they seem pretty comfortable in this old world. And the reason for that is simple. If you put a cursed man in a cursed system, he's going to get along with that system pretty well. It's when you apply truth into that cursed system, if you, it's when you apply righteousness into that cursed system that you start to make waves. In John chapter 3 at verse 19 it says men love darkness. In other words, they love their system. People are, for the most part, comfortable in the system, in the worldview that they have, and in the way the world is going. They get along with their system, John 3.19 says, because their deeds are what? Evil. So an evil system and an evil humanity, they get along pretty well. And when you have that combination, you've got a good partnership. The thing that really upsets this system is the application of righteousness, introducing truth into that system. Imagine with me for a minute if you take a mathematical system and premise it all on the fact that one and one equals three that's going to be your mathematical system. You're going to create a new system. You don't care what God's system is or anyone else's. You're going to create your own mathematical system. And in your system, it's based on the premise, one plus one is three. You're going to go to a double header this week. You're not going to get to see two games. You're going to get to see three. One and one is three. You go to your favorite burger joint and you want a double, you're going to get three. You love your system. It's a great system. And everything's great until some guy comes along and says, one and one is two. Which would absolutely destroy your system. Well, man has developed this system of sin. And in that sin, as long as he can continue to be a sinful, cursed creature self-centered, self-serving, doing as he pleases, he can accommodate the system, and the system accommodates him. It's when Christian truth comes along and says, listen, one and one is two, spiritually speaking. When the system comes along and says there is moral considerations, there are values, there are ethics, there is right from wrong, that the system is flipped. Now, all through God's redemptive history, and you've been studying this over these months with uh, with Pastor Ryan talking about God's plan and purpose. All through God's redemptive history, God's had individuals, hasn't He, who were sent by Him to do that to man's system. They were sent to smash it. They were sent to hit it head on. They were sent into man's system to show that it's wrong. From man's viewpoint, his system is right. But from God's viewpoint, it's upside down. Now, God has always used drastic means to smash man's system. But always men, women... People individually, small groups that throw that system into chaos. And our system needs to be thrown into chaos. The Supreme Court a few days ago determined that it is unlawful for any state to deny same sex marriage, same sex union. The line is drawn. A few hours after that declaration, the Christian Missionary Alliance came out and said to the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court is not our shepherd. No pastor in that denomination will sanction or perform a same-sex marriage. The lines are drawn. They're being drawn more clearly every day. And when the Supreme Court made that, there were churches that were celebrating. The lines are being drawn Righteous people running into an unrighteous system will create waves. And in this chapter, Acts 17, I think it's about as clear as any passage you'll find throughout the scripture on God's plan and purpose for his church. In this chapter, we meet a few of these kinds of people. People that really have an effect on the system. And that's what God's calling each and every follower of Jesus Christ To effect, in Acts seventeen at verse six, the people of Thessalonica and there are two cities we're going to look at in this chapter. Thessalonica is the first one we run into, and then Berea over in verse ten. There are two cities we'll talk about that in a minute. And the people in Thessalonica characterized Paul and Silas and Timothy with these words. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and other believers into the city of fish. other believers before the city officials shouting, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have come here. That's God's plan and purpose, by the way. If you have a King James Version or a New King James Version, your translation reads, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. From God's viewpoint, it was being turned right side up. But to them, they were flipping the system. I want to suggest five basic, necessary characteristics of somebody who does that to the system. Now, I understand the time frame I have, and there are a number of other things coming on after I'm done. So we're probably only going to get to two or three of those. But we'll do what we can do in the time it's allotted. If you're like me, you want to have an effect. Right? Right? Don't you want your life to count? Don't you want your life to matter? You want to make a difference. You want to make waves. You don't want to just float along on somebody else's waves. There's nothing worse than just being here, right? There's got to be a reason we're here. There's got to be something that's affected by my life. I want it to matter, I want it to count. These people turned the world upside down because of five simple things that are illustrated in this passage. As we come to Acts 17, let me give you a little background. Paul and Silas and Timothy have left Philippi. Now that's Acts 16. You had that last week or so, uh, I'm assuming. In Acts chapter 16, they were in Philippi. And they had a harrowing experience there. Paul and Silas had been beaten with rods, bruised, bloody they were thrown into a dark dungeon. They'd gone through all kinds of pain in the stocks. And, and they had their limbs and stretched and their muscles were cramped and, and all of that. But through it all, Jesus had been glorified. Souls had been saved. And they were rejoicing. And now they've left Philippi. And this might be the time that we'd be tempted to think... Maybe we need to rethink this mission thing. Maybe there's a simpler way to go about it. Maybe a less painful way. That wasn't the case. They go immediately to Thessalonica. David Livingston, the missionary to Africa, said one time, I'm prepared to go anywhere as long as it's forward." And that really echoes the sentiment of Paul. And their assessment and characterization of Paul and Silas is amazing. These men have turned the world upside down. It's amazing that any man or or woman or, or group of folks could affect the world to the degree that people are saying they turned it upside down. I mean, there are people who spend their whole life And the world doesn't even know they're alive. There are Christians who have absolutely no effect on anything. Yet here are two people whom the world said, they've turned it upside down. And if you think that's amazing, get this. They've only been to one town. Philippi, a few days in one town and they're convinced they're turning it upside down. And the rumor has now drifted all the way over to Thessalonica, a hundred miles away. Now listen, if you turn the world upside down in your lifetime, that's huge. When the world says you did it in three weeks, that's really huge. Now there were reasons they did what they did and there were reasons they had the effect that they had. Somebody said one time there are people who watch things happen, there are people who make things happen, there are people who don't know what's happening. (laughs) Well, Paul and Silas were guys that made things happen. Every time they took a step, the world shook. They had an effect. They mattered. Some people just go along. They just kind of float. They're in limbo. And then there are people that make a difference. There are people that make waves in the world. There are people that upset the system. There are Christians that disturb the comfort of sinners. Paul and Silas were those kind of people. That's God's plan and purpose for his people. God's always had those kind of people. People who make waves. People who upset Satan's apple cart. People who take a sinful situation and throw it into chaos. Elijah, we've studied him in this series haven't we elijah made waves all over the place remember when you studied him king ahab comes up you're the guy that's troubling israel no i'm not you're the guy you and your father's house because you've forsaken the commands of the lord he disturbed the complacency of their sin didn't he jeremiah made waves Babylon was going to come in and take over, and they were just trying to muster the army, and Jeremiah says, give it up, forget about it. God's already said, you have turned to your own idolatry, you have forsaken him. They're going to come in and drag you guys off like like an ox with a ring in its nose. They're going to put the the pole in the ring and lead you off into Babylon. Seventy years of captivity, that's what you're going to have. And what did they think of Jeremiah's message? He's demoralizing the soldiers. Get rid of him he disturbed the complacency of their sin. Amos made waves. They accused him of conspiring against the king. We can't bear his words, get rid of him. Now it wasn't that they were personally offensive, it's what they said. It's what they said. It's the truth they proclaim. And now we've got another guy in Acts 17, the apostle Paul. Now just to look ahead a little bit, and I don't know how far or what all this series is touching on, but in Acts chapter 21, Paul's been in Jerusalem just a little while, and they're so upset they just stirred up all the people and had a riot. He created riots wherever he went. They started yelling, "Men of Israel, you've got this Paul, the man teaches all men everywhere against the people and the law in this place and further, He brought Greeks into the temple and polluted the holy place. Now, the Bible doesn't say he did all that. They're just making it up. They're trumping it up. They're just trying to get him in trouble so that they can get rid of him. But in verse 30, it says, the whole city was moved. Everywhere he went, he created chaos. Why? Because of what he said. Listen, if you you create trouble because of what you are, you've got personal problems. That's not what we're talking about. If you get in trouble because you're an offensive person, that's a personality problem. That's a whole other thing. It wasn't Paul that was offensive, it's what he said. It was the truth he spoke. One and one is two. And we're not accepting one and one and one. Or one and one is three. That's what upset them. In Acts 22, they listened to him until this word, and he was the word was his encounter with the righteous Christ, his personal testimony. And they were listening to him up until he started giving his personal testimony about redemption and the resurrected Christ. Then they raised their voice and shouted, rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. That's serious. That isn't get out of town. That's get off the globe. And they started tearing their clothes and throwing dust in the air. Tremendously frustrated. you got to be pretty frustrated, right? You ever get that frustrated where you're tearing your clothes picking up dirt and throwing it in the air that's where they were that's where he had them (laughs) Acts 24 we have found this man a troublemaker stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world all over the world and you know why they did that you know why they responded that way Because Paul and Silas and Timothy, in the plan and purpose of God, made Christianity the issue everywhere he went. What makes the difference between a Jeremiah and an Amos and a Paul and a nobody? We're going to look at the difference. I got five, but I'll probably get to two or three. But we're going to take Thessalonica and Berea together, Acts 17. Thessalonica now remembers a very big, very, very famous city, at least 200,000 people. It was the uh, metropolis of the day, the Gotham of the day, the New York City of the day, capital of Macedonia. Three great rivers ran through it, and it converged into the sea. It was a very important port city. The Ignatian Highway ran through it, and armies and tradesmen and merchants from all over the world were back and forth, and, and it was the center of activity and the center of life. That's Thessalonica. On the other hand, in verse 10, is Berea. And we'll get there in a minute. It was nowhere. Berea is strictly boondocks. Maybe 40, 50 miles away, out-of-the-way place that would never amount to anything. But you have the same thing going on in both places that illustrate to us the principles that make a man that turns the world upside down. That affects society where he's at. That touches and changes lives. And the first one is this. I'm watching my clock closely because I know you got other things coming. Number one, courage. Courage. Courage and boldness were part of the early church. They would run into pressure, immediately they'd get courage. They'd get more pressure, they'd get more courage. More courageous. You couldn't scare them off, chase them off, run them off. They'd just get more courage. In Acts chapter 20, it says, and this is what Paul was told. This is what God told Paul in sending him out. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. Paul says, I know it's all going to be bad. He just didn't know what kind of bad. But he's going. Takes courage to do that. But he was that kind of man. That's the redemptive work of the Holy Spirit of God in his heart. No one really affects the world for Christ who doesn't have that kind of courage of his convictions and the courage of his calling. So there are two aspects here. The conviction of uh, the courage of your conviction and the courage of your calling. And all of those following the Lord Jesus are designated to do good works to affect a calling to affect a purpose to affect a plan the plan of God and you need the courage of your convictions we might be here this morning convict uh, convinced and convicted this is the word of God it's the truth of God and we may have the courage to say that to our brothers and sisters but we also have to have the courage to carry out the calling of God that he's given us Listen, on the first missionary journey, and I think that's where you've probably been the last few weeks, Acts 13, 14, 15 up to this point. That's the first missionary journey. Paul took 3, that was the first one. And every time Paul went to a town, every time in that first missionary journey, every time he went to the t- to a town, where was the first place he went? The synagogue. And what happened every time he went to the synagogue in every town? Persecuted. Every time. Whenever they went to the synagogue, they got it. In Acts 13, if we just drift back a little bit near Galatia, when the Jews saw the multitude filled with envy, they spoke against these things as were spoken by Paul. So whatever Paul was speaking, they're speaking against it. They're stirring up trouble. They're, they're anti In verse 50, the Jews stirred up the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from the region. That's what happened everywhere they went. In Acts 14, they went to the synagogue of the Jews, but the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. In verse 5, Acts 14, verse 5, there was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and stone them. This was happening time after time, every city, every synagogue he went to. In Acts 14, 19, they threw them out of the city of Lystra. So by now thinking a second missionary journey is a grand idea. And they're going to Thessalonica. You might think it'd be a good idea to avoid that place. Right? What's verse 2 say? Acts 17 verse 2. As was his custom. (laughs) Paul went to the synagogue. And on three Sabbaths. He reasoned with them from Scripture, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. That's courage, isn't it? The courage of his conviction, the courage of his calling. I know tomorrow starts the Revive Indiana. Grand opportunity for the waves to get bigger and for the waves to counter the system. But we need people of, call, uh, of courage with, of their calling and courage of their convictions. But listen, you don't go in your own strength. Don't go in your own strength. If you go in your own strength, do you know what's going to happen? You won't handle it. It'll handle you. I don't know how many believers I've talked to over the years that have attempted to witness, have attempted to affect the, their calling, and only come back with the tail between their legs, discouraged, crestfallen, and everything else, because they tried to do it in their own strength, their own ability. Remember when God sent out Israel to war? Who was the first battalion he sent out? acquire right the battle is the lord's it's not yours it's not mine it's his so trust god wait for the lord be strong and take heart and wait for the lord psalm 27 13 says and listen again before you go confess your sin if you go into battle with sin in your life there's not going to be any victory If you go out to witness to the world, and you're living a sinful life, and you wonder why you get shut down, that's why. In Psalm 7, David was, he was having trouble, and and he wanted God's help, and he needed God to come alongside of him and and, and empower him. And the first thing David does is he goes to prayer, and he says, If if there's any guilt on my hands, if if I repaid my ally with evil in any way, he, he starts confessing sin. He starts cleansing his heart. He wants to make sure I'm a pure vessel, a clean vessel. And then go with the courage of your convictions and the courage of your calling. The second thing is content. Content. Courage is the first. The second is content. A lot of people have courage, but they don't have content. When you go out to turn the world upside down, you have to be courageous, but you also have to be right. You need to speak the truth. Now, many people don't make ways because they never have anything to say that's divisive. They don't bring up issues. Christianity isn't an issue with them. The resurrected Christ isn't an issue. They don't bring things up that would be divisive. They just kind of slide in and slide out. When right content is declared, you're going to have effects. I've had folks say, oh, I've been a Christian a long time, and where I work, there's never any trouble. I don't really have any, any effect down there. There's never any trouble. That's a terrible thing to say. Why? One, either you don't have any courage, or two, you don't have anything to say. There are, a, there are Christians who are offensive, yes, because of their personality or breath or whatever, there are all kinds of ways to be offensive. That's not what we're talking about. Paul was not offensive personally. He was offensive because of what he said, and he said the truth. He interjected truth into the system. Well, I don't want to offend anybody. Yes, you do. You've got to offend people. The one thing you want to do is take a whole lot of complacent sinners who are just rolling around in their sin and blast their mathematical equation to bits. Rattle their securities. Read Romans. The first three chapters of the book of Romans. Paul deals with all the securities the Jews had, all the securities the Gentiles had, blows them to bits, leaves them stripped naked bare, and then offers them Jesus Christ. We're in the business of exploding securities and offending sin. Listen, God has been offended by sin long enough. The gospel has to offend. We are offensive to a world system. Romans 9:33. I lay in Zion a what? What's going to be the effect? Stumbling stone. A rock of offense. The gospel has to offend. 1 Peter 2 6 through 8 says, The stone which, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ, the stone which the builders rejected is become the cornerstone of truth and righteousness. A stone that causes people to feel good about themselves, have it nice and easy and comfortable. It's a stone that causes people to what? stumble they trip up on it 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 causes a wave in their system and a rock that makes them fall fall i don't mean you become obnoxious listen listen please get this i don't mean you become obnoxious you don't You're not belligerent. You're not distasteful. You're not unloving. Paul told Timothy in the second letter to to Timothy, chapter 2, The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents, and that's what we're going to encounter out there, opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. What I'm saying is you just hit the issue head on. You haven't done anybody any good unless you've confronted them with the honest issues. You know somebody that, that came to my mind the, the whole time I was kind of preparing these notes and putting things together was Marsha Peterson. Marsha Peterson's a good friend. And you know there are three or four women here at Broadway now because Marsha Peterson dealt with issues. And you'd have your Jumpstart Bible study over here, and, and you know you get a, a host of people coming and different walks of life and all that, and you get all kinds of questions in situations situation like that. You know, how many, how many angels can dance on the head of a pit? You know, stuff like that. And Marsha would just put those aside and say, it's an interesting question, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about Jesus Christ and what he's done for your life that's what he's talking about they deal with issues if you're going to go to the jews in the synagogue and you're going to talk to them you're in thessalonica you're at the synagogue and you're going to talk to the jews there what do you think the issue is what's the issue going to be you've probably had family gatherings this weekend maybe we'll have one today what's the issue going to be Now, you're not obnoxious. You're not belligerent. You don't just sit down here and hit them with the Bible. No, what did Paul say? Not quarrelsome. Gently instructed. You know, the Holy Spirit has your heart prepared. There's no sin in your heart. This isn't something you're trying to do on your own. He's leading you, and it's going to be a beautiful thing. But you stick with the issues. Now, you're you're at the Jewish synagogue. You're in Thessalonica. What's the issue? What's the issue? the issue is who is messiah right who is messiah that's what the jews were were hung up on and what their biggest hang up uh, about jesus being the messiah was you know what that is you know why they were so hung up on jesus being the messiah and why they just couldn't accept jesus as messiah he's dead (laughs) he was dead they didn't have a dead Messiah in their thinking. Their Messiah was going to come, raise up a big army, overthrow Rome, and they could just go on their sinning uh, religious way again. And so he says in Romans 1, 23, 11, 19, the cross to the Jew, the cross to a Jew, when you preach the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that Jesus on the cross to a Jew was a what? Stumbling block they couldn't get over it couldn't get past it that was the issue they couldn't see that so what does he go into the synagogue and talk about sports (laughs) the weather social issues oh my goodness you know what the supreme court here we go we get together and then we start that, that 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 that's what we do that's not god's plan and purpose and that's not what paul exemplifies look at what he does He talks about Jesus as the Messiah, and he died, and that's the issue. And three Sundays in a row, he, or three Sabbaths in a row, he did that. He got right to the issue. Now, some, some folks think it, they got to take forever, you know, to kind of warm up. You know, just warm up to people, like for three or four years or so. I just, we just got to warm up. I get to know each other and, 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 and all of that. You have trouble finding that position in the Scripture. And yet, everywhere Paul went, souls were saved and churches were planted. I like God's plan. Everywhere he went, souls were saved, churches were planted. Now, look at how this pattern goes. Acts 17, 2 and 3. As was his custom, he went to the synagogue. On three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from Scripture. Okay? Reasoned is a word that we get our word uh, dialogue, dialectic. Words like that in the English language come from this Greek word. And it isn't, listen listen what it's, uh, what it's showing us. It isn't a formal sermon. Paul didn't go into the synagogue, get in the, get in the pulpit, and start Jesus as Messiah and start his sermon. No. He dialogued. He'd bring up an issue. There'd be a question about it. There, there'd need an explanation. There'd be a clarification. There's an interchange that goes on. This is what God has in mind. I've, I've often, I've many times thought this is really kind of unfair. Not only when I've been in the pew, but also when I've been up here. One guy gets to get up there. Ex- uh, expound for thirty minutes go away he, nobody challenges him nobody asks him any questions nobody has to there 's no dialogue that goes on. he just says that's what it is and off he goes and I've, Have you ever thought like i got a question about that? Hey wait 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 you know hey pastor i i I, I need a little more information i 'd like to know that 's what Paul was doing. You go into a synagogue and say okay here 's my message now. any questions You better know your stuff, right? You have to know what you're talking about. And Peter, listen, Peter said, we should be able to do that. What did Peter say? Shouldn't every Christian be able to give to every man what? An answer. A reason for the hope that's in him. Every Christian should be able to give that to every man. To answer those questions. To dialogue with that person. Some will will present Christianity and then kind of shrivel up when questions. Oh, I I don't know. I'll I'll call my pastor. Uh, I'll get a hold of some... uh, 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 uh. That's not God's plan. That's why we need to be students of Scripture. Let me just give you a little plug for the uh, adult Sunday school class on Sunday morning over here. It's got five or six or seven more weeks. The Truth Project. Man, if you want to know... It, how, how to defend the, the faith on, on evolution and, and, and ethics and all kinds of other things. It, it's right there. And it blesses my heart to see a number of you folks in there, and you've got pad and pencil, and you're writing it down. And you're, telling, you're putting it in your heart. And you've got ammunition in your gun when you go out. And whether it's that or what, we need to be students of the Word, studying Scripture. And we should be happy when we get questions, because that's the way people learn answers. And we need to pursue that kind of testimony that can present content and then defend it. And this, will work, this approach works so well, by the way, God just kept using it. Acts 18.4, Acts uh, 18.19, Acts 19.8, Acts 24, boop, 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 all the way through. Just keep using it. Souls get saved. Churches get planted. God's saying, I'm loving it. (laughs) Courage of your convictions. Courage of your calling. Content. And what happened when God used this formula? Look at verse 4. Acts 17, verse 4. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women in three weeks. I love that. It's the system. People who make a difference and turn the world upside down are people who are true to their convictions and know the Word of God. And number three, and then I'm probably done, converts, converts you know when you start seeing people come to christ you're making an effect why because you're multiplying the waves in the system isn't that wonderful you throw a little pebble into the uh into the lake and you see a a little ripple or two and well you dump a whole truck of gravel out in that thing and it's, it's all stirred up that's what god's wanting to see Jesus promised, listen, this is wonderful. Jesus promised every follower of His is going to be productive. He even said in John 15, 16, if any branch bear not fruit, it isn't even a true branch. You have not chosen me, I've chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. Pat is one of the most fruitful branches. That I know of in the vine that I've encountered in my life's ministry. Monday night, this is just an example. It happens all the time, but this is just the latest latest example. Monday night we come home from vacation. Got there about two in the afternoon, and my yard is little sticks and branches and leaves and stuff all over. I missed the big party and uh i thought oh my goodness you know you drive eight hours we got home we unloaded and so i said i gotta get the yard clean up the neighbors had all got theirs cleaned up so you know now i'm the eye so as i get my yard cleaned up well, i'm out cleaning up the yard raking leaves and all this trying to mow here a little and then clean this up and i'm out in the backyard and, and and the dog was out there with me and she was getting a little she was wanting in she was getting a little uh, cantankerous and all that she's not a lot of help in mowing the she barks at the lawnmower that's a- and that's okay except the neighbors don't like it but so I'm knocking on the back door for Pat to come in because I got grass and I'm wet and all this stuff and knock 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 no knock, no knock, no 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 and uh, finally Pat comes to the door and she says she had one of the neighbors that had come over to the house and while we were gone, she was, was experiencing a, a, a really grave, serious life's issue. And uh, she was in there talking about it. I said, oh, okay, okay, okay. Keep the dog quiet, and I'll uh, do something else. So, so so, she talks with the lady, and she, she's I'm talking about Jesus and all. I said, okay. So <clears throat> when, when they left, they made arrangements uh, for further meetings and all that. About, she said, you know what she said when she got here she said watch she said i saw rick out raking leaves and i knew you were home see that's how pat and i work i stand out front and people just know we're there and then oh good we can go over and talk to pat that's just she draws them i don't know that's just how it works we're a team hey we're home Come on over He's right in there i think it's going to be fun but listen here's the thing that's how it works you may not see it in this life you may not see the effect or the impact you're having in this life but you might see it in the life of the time i think one of the fun things about heaven is to see everybody that's going to be there because of the faithfulness of our addition to the process that went into bringing others to Christ. I read somewhere that when somebody actually comes to Christ, somebody reaches out and picks that ripe fruit, there's been ten people that have spoken into their life about the issue of Jesus Christ and Christianity. Now there's only one that picks the fruit. They're only at one place when they're ready and we say, oh so and so brought so and so to Christ. No, there there have been ten people in the process. And I think that's an amazing thing. You might be number two. You might be number four. You might be number eight. Once in a while you might be the lucky one that gets to pick the right fruit and lead them into that experience. But there have been people impacting. That's what God's calling us to do. He's calling us to be fruitful in dealing with the issue. Don't avoid it. Have the courage of your convictions. Have, Have content in your life and in your truth. And impact people for Christ because there's a process going on. And God's bringing them the faith. Just before we left on vacation, I got this text. I had a neighbor uh, in the addition where we lived. I had this neighbor. He was a rabid Cubs fan. I mean, absolutely rabid. And I'm a White Sox fan, a sane, clear thinking White Sox fan. He's just a rabid Cubs fan. And we would have these friendly spars all the time, all the time. He'd be driving by and he'd say, losers! you know, and I'd have to bicycle by his house. <laughs> you know, and and, and but we, had, I think we had a good relationship. Now this, he he's out, there, he he's around here. He he built his house. He got a three car garage now, two car garage, and he got a third car garage. He he built a bar. He had a bar, actually, he had, had mirrors, neon lights, television, a big bar in there. He'd have his beer parties, all this and that kind of stuff, have his buddies all over. And 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 always felt sorry for the guy next to him down, down the way there. Uh, but I mean he was out there. He'd been raised in the church, but he had walked away from God and he was so far from God. Uh, and uh and and we talked to him. We'd talk to him about the issue. Pat would talk to him, I'd talk to him. And he'd stop by once in a while, and, he'd, and he'd, he'd see me in the yard, and he'd come up, and he'd say, Rick, Rick, i got a question for you. just want the Reader's Digest version. He'd always say that, Reader's Digest. He didn't want a long, and, you know, and, and he'd come up. And, and so you know, we had, to, we, we had this, this going where we were able to speak into his life, speak into his life. And uh, just before vacation, I got a text from him. Or no, I got a call. I've texted a couple times since, but I got a call from him. And he said, Rick. And he told me who it was, and I said, wow, goodness, good to hear from you. He said, you're probably wondering why I'm calling. I said, yeah, you want me to score you some socks tickets. No, <laughs> oh, they're terrible, they're lousy, they're okay. He goes into his rant and everything, and, and finally catches himself. That, that, that's not the reason I called I said, oh, well, what's the reason you called me? Well, he mentioned another neighbor who lived right across from me. A young couple, 45, 50 years old. They never had any children, but she has a grave illness. Uh, is not expected to live, and her husband's beside himself, just doesn't know how he's going to go on, doesn't know what life is about, doesn't know why this would happen to his wife, and all, oh, on all, and and this. and I said, why, I hate to hear that, that's terrible, he said, yeah, yeah, but last night, he said, that's not why I called you, okay, last night, I let him in the sinner's prayer, well, I thought that, I would like to have been there for that. <laughs> I'm still trying to picture that. Yeah, but he said, listen, Rick, he, he repeated it, and he was serious, and he took it hard. And when it was a real thing, it, it really happened. I said, well, I said, I praise the Lord for that. And he said, yeah, but that's not the reason I called. <laughs> I, I would say, he said, here's the reason I called. I sell doors and windows. This is your area of expertise now. I'm going to email you his uh, phone number, get in touch with him. I don't know where he needs to go from here. And uh, and we did it. And I thought, and I thought, isn't it amazing to be part of the process? I didn't drive up and knock on the door and bring him into a saving relationship. At this point, I've been able to speak into some direction in a church and really a dynamic men's group that's there in the area and how they'd help some other fellows in his path. I've given... My friend, some <laughs> uh, advice that might help him uh, get him directed, and I found out his uh, his uh, phone was was all uh, messed up, so I didn't get the call from him. But I've texted him a couple times and all of that. I'm just saying, listen, there's a process that's going on. God wants to use you, and you say, oh, "I don't think they're ready for Christ." God may want to, you may be number two, number four, number eight, whatever. Speak into life. Deal with the issues because converts are a result if you take a cursed system a violent unholy system and you multiply the number of holy people you have an effect on the system don't you you know why paul was so effective not because he went into town and nobody believed him he went into town and a whole bunch of people believed him and that's what messed up the system Paul could present such an irrefutable, airtight presentation, the Holy Spirit could bring them into salvation. And look at verse 4. What does it say? Some of the Jews were persuaded. That's a passive verb. Let me just say this about that. It's the word patho in in the Greek. It means to be persuaded. It means to talk it, to be talked into something. So Paul goes into Thessalonica and he's really having to persuade them. He's twisting their arm. He's really, he, he's really uh, using everything that, that's at his disposal to try to persuade them, convince them, talk them into it. I mean, this is a real, uh, you know, a lot of labor and a lot of toil going into this. But as a result, some believe. Now in Berea, look at chapter 17, verse 11. Then he goes to Berea, verse eleven. The Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. Okay. That word uh, "noble" is "pastevo." It means to believe. It's an action word. In other words, they'd been reading the Scripture. They had all these pieces, and Paul just came along and said, "Well, this is how that works." Oh yeah, wonderful. So they believed in Berea. They had to be persuaded. Arm twisted, the whole other thing in uh, Thessalonica, and in Berea they were so noble, so wonderful, got saved. But in Thessalonica they had to be talked into it, persuaded. So was that proof? Salvation is the great equalizer. It doesn't matter what you were before you were saved. At the moment of salvation, it becomes an issue with what you do with the resources that have been given you. It doesn't matter if you had every advantage. As a youngster growing up, mom and dad loved each other. They, they were faithful in their church. They taught you the scripture and all. And you had every advantage. Dad was wealthy. You got through college without any debt and the whole thing. Or if you were somebody that just had every Disadvantage from a dysfunctional home and and life on the streets and all the thing goes with that salvation is the great equalizer what do you do with the resources that have become yours in christ you know i've heard people say well he really had it tough before he was saved can't expect much out of him he had a tough background no that's not scriptural You can expect just as much from him as you can from citizen A, Christian number one. Why? Because the resources are the same. Recognize your obligation as a child of God. Recognize the results of the Holy Spirit, the regenerated life he's given you, the power he brings, his promises to you. And you're off and running. And I've known people that have been... Young people have been raised in Christians home that have fallen as flat as anybody, and people have been lifted off of the streets that have excelled and shown for the Lord in their life. Why? Because what do you do with the resources that are given you in Jesus Christ? It's not you, it's not your past, it's not your, your disadvantages or your advantages. It's what Jesus Christ brings to your life, and how you utilize those for His honor and for His glory. My time's up. I did get to three. Father. Thank you for these minutes of opportunity that we have to look into your word, to you see the plan and the purpose you have for each one of us individually through the example of Paul and Silas and Timothy. Father, help us to be compassionate, gentle, caring, loving. Ours is not to go out and be obnoxious. Discourteous. But Father, we will make waves if we live for you and inject your truth into a lost and dying system. But Father, you will bear fruit for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name.